TED Audio Collective. This is Dr. Shoshana Ungerleiter, and welcome to the TED Health Podcast. In today's episode, we'll hear from Sam Hester and how her comic book skills profoundly improve the quality of care her mother received in the hospital. Her unusual story is at the forefront of a budding movement that combines visual storytelling into healthcare to provide a better experience for patients and doctors. Then join me after the talk to explore how doctors and patients can communicate better to make sure patients feel really heard and seen. This show is brought to you by Schwab. You're here because you like to keep a pulse on fitness trends. Well, now you can invest in what's trending in active lifestyle, healthy eating, wearable tech, and more with Schwab Investing Themes. It's an easy way to invest in ideas that you believe in. Schwab's research process uncovers emerging trends. Then their technology curates relevant stocks into themes. Choose from over 40 themes. Buy all the stocks in a theme as is or customize to better fit your investing goals. All in a few clicks. Schwab Investing Themes is not intended to be investment advice or a recommendation of any stock or investment strategy. Learn more at schwab.com slash thematic investing. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. (laughs) I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Support for this podcast comes from The Wonderful Company. If that name doesn't sound familiar to you, you probably know the pistachios that come from this company. Wonderful Pistachios is one of the highest protein nuts. Get snacking and get cracking with a snack that packs a protein punch. I love the various wonderful pistachio flavors. So in addition to the original flavor, I'm particularly fond of the salt and vinegar. And I keep little packets of them in my car so that I can eat and get some protein on the run. Visit wonderfulpistachios.com to learn more. Add a little curiosity into your routine with TED Talks Daily, the podcast that brings you a new TED Talk every weekday. In less than 15 minutes a day, you'll go beyond the headlines and learn about the big ideas shaping your future. Coming up, how AI will change the way we communicate, how to be a better leader, and more. Listen to TED Talks Daily wherever you get your podcasts. This is the story of how I used comics to help me in my role as a caregiver for my mom in a way I couldn't have imagined. Now, when I was thinking about how to tell that story, I talked a lot about it with my mom. That's because this story's hers. My mom's name is Jocelyn, and we're not alike. She's an optimist. I worry about all the terrible things that are going to go wrong. She's impulsive. I'm cautious. We're so different that it took me a long time to realize we had something important in common. We both respond to challenges by writing stories. Now, it took me such a long time to notice that we had this in common because the stories we wrote were so different. She self-published a book of poems and short stories about living with Parkinson's disease over the last 20 years. 
I write comics. And my comics are about stuff like life with my mom. Now, over the years, my mom and I got used to her physical health challenges. But a while ago, she started having cognitive challenges too. She couldn't write stories anymore. And communication between us kept getting harder. My mom's doctor didn't get it. He asked her questions like, well, what city are you in? She knows the answer. He asked, what year is it? Well, she knew that answer too. He just said, you're fine. But my mom had been having hallucinations. She sometimes thought she was surrounded by ghostly people. The doctor couldn't see it, but my mom could. I want to tell you about graphic medicine, a growing movement that refers to an unlikely partnership between healthcare and comics. Now, at the heart of this movement is a kind of a comic called a graphic pathography. A graphic pathography just means a story about illness that's told in a visual medium. This comic's that kind of a story. You can see the ghostly hallucinations, and you're invited to feel empathy for the patient's experience. You can share my mom's concern that her symptoms have not been recognized. That's one way that words and pictures can work together to tell a healthcare story. And this is something anyone can do. Now you might be thinking, no, I'm not a comics artist, but that's okay, you don't have to be. A healthcare story can benefit from very simple pictures. I'm gonna show you how. My mom's condition got worse and we were in the hospital a lot. By this time, hallucinations and early stage dementia made it hard for her to explain what was going on. And it was hard for the hospital staff to trust her. I was constantly hanging around the hospital. I felt like everything depended on me. Doctors and nurses came and went, arriving and leaving unexpectedly. And I felt like I was standing at the side of a highway trying to get the attention of the drivers racing past. There was this one evening when I really had to get home to my kids, but I didn't want to leave the hospital because my mom had been having this weird symptom. She was leaning off to the left, her head and upper body slumped sideways. During the day, she'd slide out of her wheelchair and her leg would get caught in the wheels. And at night, her inability to straighten out her body made it hard for her to get a good sleep. Now, the doctor was aware of this and we'd ruled out the possibility that there was anything dangerous going on like a stroke. But still, I didn't want to leave because the night staff were going to arrive and they didn't know my mom. This sideways posture didn't have anything to do with the reason she'd actually been admitted to the hospital. They might just overlook it. Or if they did notice it, they might assume this was just her regular posture. And it really wasn't. I didn't know what to do. And that's when it came to me. A picture could help. So I drew one. I wrote, help for Jocelyn. She leans to the left. Please support wheelchair and bed with pillows. I drew a circle around the leg that kept getting injured. And I drew my mom lying in bed. And I wrote, this is a comfy sleeping position. I taped it up on the wall above her bed and I left. And suddenly I felt like I didn't need to keep standing at the side of that highway. It was as if I just planted a big sign at the side of the road that anyone passing by would see and I could go home. Thanks to that picture, I got a good night's sleep. And so did my mom. When I went back the next morning, I saw that someone had propped up her left arm with a pillow. A nurse who I'd never met had seen the picture and known what to do. This was the first of so many pictures I drew to help my mom, and what surprised me was how fast this worked. I carried pictures like this around with me everywhere I went to pull out whenever I needed them to save me explaining things again. And I learned that a picture is worth a thousand words that you just don't have time to say. Then my mom was moved to another part of the hospital, and there was a whole new team of staff members who didn't know her. So I got ready to start drawing some new pictures. But then I thought, 
When I drew those first pictures for my mom, I'd made choices about what healthcare issues to highlight on her behalf. At that time, she hadn't had the words to speak for herself. So those pictures were just my best guesses about what might help. But big questions arise when you try to tell someone else's story. That kind of collaboration depends on trust. So this time, I sat down with my mom and I asked her what pictures I should draw. Her answers surprised me. She said, Please, tell them to call me Jocelyn. They don't know I go by my middle name. She said, Please tell them I'm left-handed. And she asked me to draw a food tray on which the items had been placed where her hand could reach them. She asked me to draw a picture that said, Please remove lids. That's because nerve damage in her hands makes fine motor skills a challenge. She asked me to draw a picture that said, Please fill cups halfway. A full cup is too heavy. She asked me to draw a picture that said, Please tell me your name. I can't read your name tag. And she asked me to draw a picture to go on the door of her room, so she would know which room was hers. These small details were a big deal. They gave me insight into challenges I hadn't even been aware of. Now, on the picture of the door of my mom's room, I drew her face. I've drawn my mom so many times, I have a way of drawing her face. But the point isn't that it has to look anything like my mom. It could be a circle with two dots for eyes. The point is that there's a face. There's a person with a voice. And if you listen to the picture, the voice can be heard. Because the face can be seen. The message matters more. Because it comes from someone. After I'd drawn all those pictures, my mom asked me, Now, draw one more. Draw me looking healthy. Draw me walking with my walker. And label it. Jocelyn's goal. She said, the staff here are just going to see a sick old lady in the hospital bed, someone who's weak and confused. It's easy to think that's all I am. She said, I want them to understand what we're working for. Sometimes you have to see it to believe it. If I'm honest, I have to admit that sometimes I was the one who just saw the sick old lady in the hospital bed. And trying to capture my mom's goal in a picture helped me believe in it more myself. My mom did reach her goal, and a few months later, she walked out of the hospital on her own two feet. She moved to long-term care, and for the first time, her care needs were more managed and predictable. Now, she did still hallucinate about being surrounded by ghostly people. But my mom and I have always responded to challenges by writing stories. And now, we've learned to write stories together. Like this one. Here's me asking my mom, how's the writing going? And she responds, not great. Maybe I need a ghostwriter. I already have the ghost. Remember my mom's doctor, the one who didn't get it? That comic about him was part of this same story. It's a comic my mom and I wrote together for a magazine dedicated to destigmatizing dementia and supporting people impacted by this disease. My mom's name appeared in the byline right next to mine. And this comic was one of the ways we carefully documented her symptoms, which led to her being able to start a new medication that helped with those ghostly hallucinations. But more than that, this comic let her use her experience to help others whom the magazine could reach. And besides, isn't it just cool that a medical magazine these days has comics? My mom and I have continued to write comics together, and she's continued to trust me with sharing the stories of life with dementia and life in long-term care during the pandemic. I think she's been okay with me sharing these vulnerable moments because she knows I'm not just telling the story of a sick old lady in the hospital bed. She knows I understand that even though I may be the one drawing the pictures, 
She's a collaborator with an equal part in the work. The reason this all started didn't have anything to do with art or writing or even healthcare. It came from me wanting to help my mom. And that's the same power you have in your relationships with the people you care for. You know their healthcare needs. You live their stories with them. Now, I understand you may still feel a bit skeptical about showing up at the doctor's office with a sketchbook, but you may be surprised to discover that the people in your healthcare community are already familiar with graphic medicine, the growing movement at the intersection of healthcare and comics. They may already know how a picture can be an amazing time saver or a tool for creating empathy and personal connections. Just imagine if your new doctor opened your chart and saw pictures that sparked curiosity about the person, not just the symptoms. When I looked at all the pictures I'd drawn of my mom, I did see her symptoms, but I also see my mom. She's there in all the words and pictures that have continued to hold us together. This show is brought to you by Schwab. You're here because you like to keep a pulse on fitness trends. Well, now you can invest in what's trending in active lifestyle, healthy eating, wearable tech, and more with Schwab Investing Themes. It's an easy way to invest in ideas that you believe in. Schwab's research process uncovers emerging trends. Then their technology curates relevant stocks into themes. Choose from over 40 themes. Buy all the stocks in a theme as is or customize to better fit your investing goals. All in a few clicks. Schwab Investing Themes is not intended to be investment advice or a recommendation of any stock or investment strategy. Learn more at schwab.com slash thematic investing. Support for this show comes from Brooks. I've really gotten into running this year, so I have to tell you about the Ghost 16 from Brooks, because this shoe is kind of a game changer. I found the cushioning to be next level comfortable. It's incredibly soft, yet surprisingly lightweight. It's literally comfortable every time my foot hits the pavement. The Ghost 16 from Brooks isn't just a shoe for me. It's a daily boost for my runs. Visit brooksrunning.com to learn more. Hi there, it's Shoshana again. Wow, Sam Hester came up with such a beautiful solution to what I know is an all-too-common problem. Doctors often fail to see their patients as human beings. Why does this happen? Most of us didn't go into medicine to have short, transactional relationships with the people we're trying to help. One recent study found that physicians interrupted their patients after a median of only 11 seconds. As a patient, I know this is so disheartening. But as a physician, I've been guilty of this myself. So I can try to explain. In medical school, we're taught to ask very specific questions based on a patient's chief complaint so we can quickly get to the root cause of their issue. We aim to zero in on the problem so we can quickly find a solution and move on. But 11 seconds is obviously really short. Way too short for patients to tell us other vital information, like why this issue matters to them and how the problem impacts their lives. And when a patient doesn't feel that they're being listened to, when they think their doctor is being dismissive or rushing them, they naturally become dissatisfied and less trusting. And this can ruin the opportunity to build a strong relationship. 
The study's researchers suggest that the results are likely due to several factors, like the time constraints physicians are often up against, a lack of training on how to effectively communicate with patients, and of course, physician burnout, which is sadly all too common. We practicing physicians are constantly balancing a mega load of responsibilities. Minutes are precious, and we have to manage them carefully. But one day, late in my intern year, I walked into an ER and met a patient who changed my perspective on this forever. He'd had the amazing fortune of good health throughout his life, but now he was in his late 70s and he was dying of lung cancer. He was receiving care from an oncologist at my hospital, and he'd come to the ER that night because of severe and worsening shortness of breath. He was scared. Before coming into the room, I'd reviewed his labs, his chest x-ray, and found that he had fluid in his lungs from his cancer. This was a bad sign. When I came into the room, I saw that he'd once been fit and brawny, although now he was worn out and quite thin. We talked for a while. I asked the customary questions about his symptoms, and I really got the sense that he was a kind man. I explained to him that fluid had built up in his lungs from his cancer and that while we could admit him to the hospital and remove the fluid with a needle, it would only make him feel better temporarily. I told him that I believed his cancer had spread. After delivering that news, I decided to venture into unusual territory. I asked questions I'd never felt comfortable asking before, like what he understood about his diagnosis and his future. He explained that he'd read online how he likely only had months to live, but that his oncologist wanted him to continue chemotherapy for now. Then I asked him what he wanted. And to my surprise, he grabbed my hand and started crying. And then he said, and, and this has really stayed with me all these years, no one has asked me what I want. Can I please go home? All I want is to be at home. I remember feeling shocked. How could this be, I thought? How had we all failed to take a step back from his diagnoses and his treatment options and the labs and the imaging results to ask what's really the most important question of all? He didn't want to be admitted to the hospital yet again. He didn't want what we're always poised to offer, more aggressive treatment. He knew that there was no cure for his cancer, and he wanted what all of us hope for in the end, to spend our final days in comfort. This story has stayed with me all these years because it was in that moment that I realized taking the time to get to know my patients, learn about their goals and values for living life, however long that may be, actually allows me to practice the best medicine. The biggest problem with not taking the time to really listen is that it impacts the quality of care we deliver. It can affect everything from the diagnosis to patient morale. If a physician doesn't understand these details, it's hard to understand their patient as a person with a rich and complex life beyond this moment in time, beyond this illness. And that means that they don't have a clear picture of how to provide the best care for the whole person, to really understand what they're living for. But there are absolutely things that individual physicians and healthcare systems can do to improve this. 
we can and should ask what our patients like to be called. Find out what their baseline abilities are and how they like to spend their time. How do they want to be cared for? And what does getting better look like to them? Healthcare leaders within institutions should offer more opportunities and training in providing patient-centered care. This means allocating more time for visits, training all medical students in how to have conversations, even the difficult ones with patients, and most importantly, opening the door for patients to feel empowered and to have a voice in their care. But patients, and that includes me, probably don't want to wait for some of these changes to take place just to start feeling seen by their doctors. So what can we do ourselves to slow those conversations down, even if we're not brilliant illustrators like Sam Hester? I think a few things could help. If you don't understand something your healthcare provider is saying, speak up. Don't be afraid to ask questions. If your doctor recommends a new treatment, I find it often helpful to ask them, would you take this medicine or have this procedure done yourself? Why or why not? And if you're not feeling good about the relationship you have with your doctor, it's important to keep looking and find one you like, one who listens to you and serves as a partner in your care. I became a doctor to help people live healthy, happy lives for as long as possible. At that moment in the ER, I realized that sometimes the most powerful healing of all comes through the simple act of sitting down and listening to my patients with compassion. This episode was produced by Transmitter Media and fact-checked by Vanessa Garcia-Woodworth. And special thanks to Anna Phelan, Sammy Case, Grace Rubenstein, Maria Lagis, and Colin Helms. I'm Dr. Shoshana Ungerleiter. Stay well, and I'll talk to you next week. You're growing a business, and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate, no coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started.